Lacrosse fans to the Utah Lacs Report podcast. I'm your host, Tim Haslam. This episode features an interview with BYU head coach Matt Schneck. We talked a lot about his time at BYU, uh, how he got to BYU, and everything between. It's a really great podcast. I really hope you take the time to listen to the whole thing. Coach Schneck really cares about his players and talks a lot about uh, some great points of advice uh, for coaches and for players and for everyone. It's a really great episode. Anyway, here is my interview with Coach Schneck. Welcome to the show, Coach. How are you? Doing great. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. You know, you're one of the the longtime faces of lacrosse in the state of Utah. You've been around for a long time, seen a lot, and, and that's what we're going to dive in today. First, though, question that I ask every guest, how did you start playing lacrosse? Yeah, so I was, I was introduced to lacrosse from my oldest brother. So my oldest brother, Mark, he's uh, about 10 years older than I am. And uh, so we, we grew up in Connecticut. And uh, so first introduced to the sport there, but it was really through my brother who had come out and, and uh, played lacrosse at BYU a long time ago. And uh, so uh, as our family moved around, we had been in Connecticut when I was young, we moved away and then the lacrosse sticks started showing up and uh, that was through my older brother. And uh, so took an affinity to it right away. But at the time there weren't any opportunities to actually play. The family moved back to Connecticut and, um, and that's really where I dove in and, and have been involved with it ever since. Yeah, and so you played lacrosse, uh, you know, in high school, and then you actually came to BYU, if, if I remember correctly, you came to BYU to play football, and you that's were right. on the football team. Yep, that's right. And so, and so- it, you know, football had been a big part of my life, and, and my, my dream was to come out to BYU and be a part of the football program, which I was fortunate enough to have that experience, and at a great time in BYU football history. So it was back in the in the early 90s. And uh, it was a fun time. Uh, great program and really was for me, some of the places that I got my, my, my love for coaching, just having been around coaches that were so influential and, and uh, had a huge impact in my life. And uh, so I had a great experience with that. I wasn't done with school yet. And uh, when I finished playing football and I had a little bit of school to finish up and had some friends on the lacrosse team and they knew that I had played and they said, why don't you come out and be a part of the program? And so I did and uh, had a great experience with that as well. So, so let's talk just a little bit about the, the time at BYU football. Like you said, it was, it was a great time for, for BYU football. You played under Coach Lavelle Edwards. What, yes. what was that experience like? Incredible. You know, Coach Edwards was a huge influence in my life, both on the field and off the field. And he was a such an incredible example of how to lead young men. And, uh, you know, if you read some of the early experiences about Coach Edwards when he first became the head coach, he had to navigate his way through that experience as well as, as he was experiencing taking on the helm here at BYU and, and uh, how to work with missionaries and how to build a program and things like that. But then over the years, he developed a system. He developed a culture. And I think that's one of the greatest things that I took away from it. I saw how he coached. I saw how he was involved. I saw how he gave 
um, authority and gave opportunity to assistant coaches as well to do what they were good at. I saw how he cared for the players and there was, there was really never a time that his office door was not available, like open and available to be able to come in and sit down and have a chat with him, which I took advantage of on multiple occasions. It was, it was coach Edwards that actually came and met with me and had shared some pretty tough news when my father had passed away. And uh, this was, you know, this was a time when we didn't have, you know, cell phones on the ready and text messaging and all these things. And people were calling landlines to uh, try to get in touch with people. And, and so as that, that tough call came into the university and they were tracking down where I was, so that they could get the information to me, it came through Coach Edwards. And um, I couldn't have asked for a, in, in that situation, anybody else that uh, could have delivered that difficult news for me in my life at that time. And it just said, you know, it set a real uh, great example for me. And, uh, you know, uh, we remained, we remained uh, in touch all the way through the rest of his life. And uh, so that was a pretty special thing. What an incredible story, Coach. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. What, what, what were some things maybe that you remember from your, your time playing football for the Cougars? You know, maybe yeah. it was a, a practice or a certain game or something like that. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed to tell people that I certainly was not a superstar on the football team. I was just, honestly, I was proud and thrilled to be a part of the program, grateful for the opportunity. You know, being a part of a big time football program, you learn a lot about just how things are run. And, uh, but I'll, I'll have to say some of my greatest experiences would probably be one running out of the tunnel, you know, at Cougar Stadium to a crowd with, you know, 65,000 people that are cheering. That'll be something I'll never forget, having those experiences. Uh, bowl games, you know, just incredible experiences being able to, you know, at that time, there weren't a lot of bowl games. You know, today it feels like there's about 50 different bowl games, but at the time uh, there wasn't. And so the idea of, of winning the WAC championship and uh, playing in the Holiday Bowl, that was a big deal. And uh, playing in Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego, some pretty, pretty amazing experiences at that time in my life and things that I'll always look back at with, with some tremendous fondness. Coach, you've got me excited about BYU football, and I'm a Utah football fan. <laughs> Thanks for sharing those stories. Yeah, you, bet. you transitioned to lacrosse team, like you said. You were part yeah. of the 1997 BYU championship team. That's right. What, what, what do you remember? What stands out to you from your, your playing days? Yeah, so first of all, you know, super appreciative of Coach Lamb giving me the opportunity to play because I did come in late. You know, it, it, it wasn't quite like it is now, you know, where you, you see these programs kind of being built up, kids coming in as freshmen and everything else. That was the year, the first that we now call it the MCLA, but at the time it was the USLIA, I, I, I think men's division at the time is what it was called. And, and that was the first year that BYU and other schools that were competing would be eligible to compete for a national championship that was going to be held in St. Louis, Missouri. And honestly, that was one of the reasons why I was saying, yeah, let's do this. It, you know, it was knowing that there was going to be an opportunity to, 
potentially do something special with this group of guys really was a motivation to want to take a little, you know, extra time and play another season of athletics in college and able to do that while I was finishing up school. So that was a, you know, that was a a pretty special opportunity. That transition at the time looks so different than it does now. I look back at photos of our team from 1997 and, you know, you kind of count and you realize we have like 19 guys, you know, uh, on the team and, and it, it wasn't a huge squad. And, and there were a couple of guys that at the time were like, you know, trying to figure out, well, can I even make it to the national championship tournament because I'm supposed to start this internship, you know, or my summer job. And, you know, it was, it was the first year of the of the MCLA or the USLA national championship at the time. And so so that was pretty cool. That season was set up in such a great way. We had played Arizona earlier in the season and and we got just honestly we just got destroyed. We got we got beat pretty bad in that against Arizona. We'd gone down there for a, a road trip and and as we came into the national tournament Arizona, they were the number 1 seed going into the tournament at that time. There was only a division one and that first year, only eight teams made it into the national championship tournament, but we slowly progressed through, ended up playing Arizona in the second round of the tournament and took it to them, which led us into that championship game. A lot of fun. You know, these are guys that we, we have this, this group that was a part of that original, that original team. And it's just fond memories. You know, as you look back at it, we played at Anheuser-Busch uh, Sports Complex in St. Louis. And that was kind of the tradition at the, for the championships for the next several years. It was, everything was always in St. Louis. It was kind of like the, the heart of America. It was right in the middle. And that was kind of the design to bring everybody into St. Louis for the national championship tournament. And uh, it was awesome. You know, I tell kids today, especially as they are trying to determine what they're doing with their time and do they have time in college to play? They're at a competitive school. Academics are difficult. And do they have time to do it? And I let them know that if, if there is any remote possibility of being able to play college athletics, and then on top of that, if you have the opportunity to uh, potentially play for a championship, whether it's a conference or a national championship, you will never have that opportunity again anytime in your life. And uh, if, you, if they can take that opportunity, they're going to treasure it. And it's just going to be a great, uh, a great thing for them. And, and you talk about conference championships and, and national championships. And that's something that obviously anytime those things are talked about in college lacrosse, it, BYU is going to be on those lists. A- after your playing days, you, you know, you took a little bit of a break, but then came back as, as an assistant coach and and they yeah. just haven't haven't been able to get rid of you yet, Coach. What what's been the secret to to staying at BYU this long and and just your progression through the coaching ranks? And so after after BYU, I went off to graduate school and finished up graduate school, got into uh, business, and and I found myself I'd probably say unbalanced in some respects where it was a lot of work, work, work. And my wife actually has probably been the only reason that I've been able to do this for all of these years, because she is the one that has not only encouraged me, but has supported me with, with doing this without her. None of this happens. I I can tell you that right now. She is the one that actually encouraged me to, to, she knew I always loved athletics and loved the idea of potentially coaching. And so she was the one that kind of encouraged me to start to pursue that. 
I, I started off coaching high school football at, at Timpu High School, just with one of the younger teams in the high school as a sophomore team and helped them out. And I, I, I quickly realized that coaching in high school felt like a full-time and it was tough, you know, practices every day in the middle of the work day. And that kind of made it you know, difficult. And, and then I had the opportunity to work with coach lamb and coach lamb was in a similar situation that I was in. We both had jobs. And so lacrosse was something that was at that time was kind of built around a professional schedule, you know, other things that were going on. And so it worked out nice to be involved, but still be able to support the family with an everyday, an everyday job. And, and so that was, that's kind of where it started. And, and I had a variety of different roles in the beginning as I started helping out with the team. And I, I tell you, probably couldn't be around somebody much better than coach Jason Lamb because he loves the game. He knows the game extremely well and um, had an opportunity to learn from him. And that was, that was just fantastic. And so, so I, yeah, so I got to be around the program for quite a few years as an assistant, which was a really nice balance because like I said, we still all have to go out and support our family in a different way. And so that allowed me to continue to build my business at the same time as being able to be involved with the program. And what a just wonderful group of of young men to be involved with. It was different than high school. These kids were a little bit more mature. They had some direction in their life. They were learning how to balance athletics with academics and potentially, you know, pursuing career relationships, things like that. And it was just a different setting. And it was one that I really, really enjoyed being around. And so I feel like I got just as much benefit out of it compared to whatever I may have put into it as well during that time. And then, you know, ultimately in, in 2009, Coach Lamb leaves, you are then hired as the head coach. You know, what are some of the things over the last, geez, 13, 14 years have, have you kind of implemented or, or been proud of as, as your time as the head coach at BYU? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that was probably, and I, I think probably most first year head coaches recognize this. Everybody comes in with, you know, big plans, right? Hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do differently. Here's the culture. Here's, you know, all of these, all of these different plans to try to kind of have your own mark, you know, on the program and everything else. And then you said, and, and so I discovered that there were many, many good things that we wanted to continue to bring forward that we had from the past, right? And, and these are things that, you know, I think everybody knows that we learn from the past. We learn from history. We learn from how things are done. And uh, so those things that were, were just great hallmarks of the program, we wanted to make sure that we were bringing those things with us as we, as we move forward. At the same time, different personalities and, and different ways of approaching things. And uh, so you start to realize that there's also this need to be able to take those things that are important to you as the new head coach and say, I, I want to try to craft these things. I want to try to massage these things into the, into the program. Probably one of the things that was, was early on for us as a program, after finishing the first year and recognizing that we were still looking for some identity as a program that had honestly been structured and had been built and 
had gotten to its prominence because of Coach Lamb. And, and so all of a sudden, now he's gone and we needed to, we needed to figure things out, uh, how we were going to move forward. There are a lot of questions at that time. You know, will the program survive? Will they ever win again? Will there be, you know, these types of things? And, and those were legitimate questions, you know, that were brought up. And so we needed to try to figure out who we were and we needed to figure out how to do that. One of the things that I did was I remembered something that was being done at BYU from a football perspective. And I take a lot of my, my clues and, and cues and, and some of the things that I've learned from being a part of that program and, and I've implemented them into our program. And one of those things was, was truly teaching the kids on the team about what it meant to represent the university, what it meant to, to wear the, we wanted to build tradition. We wanted to build uh, a culture around where that really was meaningful. And so we started to do some little things. We started to take the guys and as part of their, as part of their, 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 I don't know if they'd call it a congratulations, but part of the honor of, of making the team, it was running the Y, you know, which is a one mile set of switchbacks, you know, up Y mountain and not an easy thing to do. And we decided that we wanted to make that a part of the beginning of every season where these kids had that experience, that opportunity to do that. Then we evolved that into, as we got to the season, that we would start to have players nominate another member of the team that represented all the good that the Y had to offer and allow them to be the flag bearer. And the flag bearer was this experience to lead the team out at the beginning of the game, running with the Y flag, and, um, and then be a captain for that day uh, and that particular game. And then at the end of the season, we'd give them a t-shirt and that t-shirt on the back of it says, this was not all, which is referencing a, a scripture that many of the young men are familiar with that talks about these young men that were going into battle and that they had all of these attributes but then there was a phrase that said, this was not all, helping them understand that we are not defined only by lacrosse, being a lacrosse player. And so we tried to build this tradition. And then this t-shirt that we gave them had this really interesting logo that doesn't exist anywhere on campus. And it looks like a cougar howling at the moon. And there's only one place that you can find that, that uh, logo. And it's at the trailhead of the Y. So when you're walking up to the trailhead and you see the big metal posts and the gate, you'll see it was carved into the iron gates. And so we try to do these little things to help these guys see how it all connects together. And, and then we recognize those people. We've been doing that ever since. So we, we started that. And ever since we, we've continued to run the wide, the guys just keep getting faster because now they expect it. And uh, we still nominate flag bearers. They still carry the flag out at the beginning of the game. And, uh, and it's become a wonderful tradition. So we've, we, we started to try to build culture, do some things like that. And then, you know, we started to, to help the guys understand that you can only control what you can control. And uh, there's so much about this game that you have no control over. And, and, and 
And so we wanted them to learn how to focus on the things that they could control. And, and I think by helping them have that sense of understanding and, and that sense of work ethic and that sense of culture and that sense of tradition, we've been able to put together a, a pretty solid program that we've been able to move forward with from year to year. Absolutely. And, and, you know, along those lines, it feels like you're, you're in the mix every year for the national championship. Obviously, some years have gone your way, some haven't. One of those years was last year and, and sort of this abbreviated tournament that the MCLA put on for, for those who were invited. Talk about just sort of the challenges of last season. You know, COVID was still present, but maybe not, you know, it didn't obviously cancel the season. And then you have this MCLA invitational. Just talk about sort of last year and then how that affected your team. Yeah. Well, right off the bat, let me just tell you how grateful I am for our university and their willingness to figure it out. You know, that th- there, there was a lot of schools that the schools, they, did, they just didn't want to deal with it. It's like too much of a hassle, too many challenges, too many potential issues. And so we're just going to just, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to try to find an answer. And, but yet very, very fortunate that BYU was willing to try to find answers, trying to find a way to figure it out. With that being said, last year, I took all of my clues from the football team again. Because when you look at the fall of 2020, here's BYU, they're practicing, they're out there, and they have zero games on their schedule. But they're practicing, they're out there every day. And these kids are honestly wondering, are we ever going to play a game? Is anybody going to be allowed to play? But they kept grinding. They kept working. They kept doing that. And we started fall ball at the same time. So we had started fall ball. We started practicing and and it was abbreviated. It was a little bit different. There were no tournaments. There were no fall ball games. There were only workouts. Some of the workouts were individual workouts. And so you really had to try to encourage the guys to make sure that they were buying into it. But similar to what we saw with football, where they they just kept working hard. And then as the season presented itself, they were prepared. And then BYU had an outstanding football season. Well, we kind of had a similar situation. We had practiced throughout the fall. We got to the spring. We were approved to start practicing, but we had zero games on our schedule. So our, our 15 or 16 game schedule that we had, had completely been eliminated. And we were at zero games. Then it wasn't until later in February that we actually got the approval from BYU to say, okay, you can, you can play some games if you can find them. And then it was a mad rush at that point. It didn't matter. We were playing NCAA teams. We were playing MCLA teams. We did back-to-back games with teams that Normally, you'd only play them once in a season, but then it was, hey, we'll come to you if you'll come to us because they were allowed to play. So we were doing whatever we could, but then March rolls around and then more teams start, and then April rolls around and more teams, you know, and uh, so as the spring went on, it started to gain some traction and it was difficult. It was expensive. You know, we were, we had to pay every time the kids got tested and we were testing at the beginning of trips, at the end of trips, every week before practices. And it was expensive to wow. do that. And, and then it was the, the, you know, how many trips did we take where kids couldn't go because they didn't pass the test, you know, and, or the test results didn't come back in time. 
And so we couldn't, they, they just couldn't get on the bus because, you know, the rule was that everybody had to have that, that negative test result. And so it was difficult, no fans, you know, throughout the entirety of the season, a lot of people peering over fences and from the parking lots and things like that. So that was difficult uh, as well. But at the end of the day, it was a tremendous experience in adversity, in gratitude, as, as guys started to realize what a true blessing it was that they even had the opportunity to be able to get out there and compete. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's something definitely to hang your hat on coach to, to navigate through that. Let's, before we kind of wrap up, you know, your, your history, before we talk about the current team, who, who are some of the players or, or, you know, games that stand out to you in, in over the last, you know, 20 plus years? Oh, wow. Well, uh, you know, first of all, this is such an unfair question because <laughs> there are so many incredible lacrosse players that have come through this program throughout the years. And, but, you know, as I, as I look back, I'll, I'll, I'll try to focus in on the last 10 years or so, you know, as we, as I, as I think about this time of BYU lacrosse, there's, there's a couple of guys that are complete standouts that are just, you know, and, and you know who they are and they're actually Utah guys, you know, which is pretty incredible. One of them is Ted and, you know, Ted to this day is still one of the leading point earners in the MCLA after all of these years. And another is Elliot Grow. And Elliot, again, one of the uh, few guys that's one of the top assist leaders in the MCLA after all of these years. And, you know, you think about all the additional teams that have come through the MCLA and things like that. And, uh, and, and these, these are just two guys of, of many that were just incredible to, to be around and, and to have them be a part of the program. They made tremendous things happen. Another just brief story is Tyler Monteith, Columbine, Colorado. Tyler's still here in Utah and, and involved heavily in, the, in youth lacrosse, high school lacrosse. Here's what was incredible about Tyler. Tyler, one of the transition guys between Coach Lamb and then when I took over as head coach, and Tyler had left on a mission a couple of years later than some of the other guys had on the team and went to Scotland on his mission. He came home and he was by far good enough to be one of our starters in that first 2010 season. But we talked with him about the idea of redshirting that year and coming back the next year and leading the team and being the team captain and all these things, which he did and he bought into. And then he, along with several others, led that 2011 team all the way through to the national championship and, and winning the national championship in 2011. And that team also included these same guys, right? The same ones that I mentioned. That was a, that was a pretty special squad at that time. Lots of great talent, both from in-state and from out-of-state. And uh, some pretty incredible memories. One other memory that stands out that I'll share with you was from that same year was our goalie, Matt Brandenburg. Matt was from uh, Virginia and Matt was redshirting that year because he was a very talented freshman. And we had a starting goalie, Wes Gore, who was from Colorado. And Wes was our starting goalie. But as the season went on, we kind of got this feeling that we needed Matt to come in here and push the, push the competition a little bit, which he did. And then he took over as the starting goalie. He led the team all the way to the semifinals of the national championship tournament. And with a minute left in the game, took a shot and it broke his thumb and shattered it. And earlier in the week, Wes Gore had talked to me at the hotel and was just like, coach, I've been patient. I've been 
you know, you, you, you put Matt in instead of me, is my time ever going to come? And I said, Wes, just be ready, be ready. You, you never know when that opportunity is going to come up. That opportunity came two days later, Wes came in as the starting goalie in the national championship tournament and just played lights out and, you know, total team win from, from that perspective and credit goes to both Matt and Wes as well for some great things that happened that year. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you talk about those guys and, and obviously a lot of memories come just from watching them all play, you know, Elliot's a, a Highland alum. So I got to give yep. them the, the thing though, that I, that maybe, you know, that I kind of see from them is they're all successful in their careers after lacrosse, which, about is, it. which is very, very cool to see for sure. Let's, let's transition to this well, year's you know, team. But hey, Tim, before we transition, yeah. I, I, would, yeah. I would go, I'd be amiss not to say that one other highlight is beating the University of Utah in their last year in the MCLA. Coach Holman and the whole crew had built an incredibly powerful University of Utah team that was about to transition into the NCAA and they were unstoppable that year. And this is spring of 2018. And the stars aligned after BYU took a shellacking at the Utes home field that year during the regular season, which was very well publicized. Lots and lots of people at that game, including, you know, you know, inside lacrosse magazine, everybody else that was doing the special documentaries. And, yep. and, and, and that became the first time that BYU had lost to Utah in, I don't know how many years, if ever they had beat them. And so, so the stars aligned for BYU and University of Utah to play in the quarterfinals of the national championship game. And, and we went in with a little bit of a different strategy that game. That strategy worked out for us, plus some just incredible last minute antics, you know, just, I mean, I don't even know sure. a better way to put it, but it was one of the most exciting games I think I've ever been a part of just to see that unfold. And Chris Severson, another Utah, now on my coaching staff, but Bingham High School alum. And Chris Severson makes that game winning shot, you know, at the end of the game. And just something that these guys are going to remember forever. So pretty awesome. Absolutely. You know, I was obviously there on, on the opposite sideline and, and just, just a phenomenal game to watch and, and be a part of. Would, would you say that Chris Severson's the best shooter that's ever come out of Utah? Yeah, I, I absolutely. From a, from a standpoint of power and strength and accuracy, if you combine all of those things together, there's, I, I, I'd love to see somebody that's better because he is incredible. Even to this day, even though he graduated several years ago, he puts on clinics for our guys you know, every day at practice. And I think especially the younger guys, we're, we're, we're finally getting a couple of guys that um, didn't know Chris when they were on the team as a freshman, you know, and we've kind of graduated through all of these kids. And so we have this whole new batch of guys that are on the team now. And when these freshmen come in and they see their coach shooting like that and being able to teach them, they take it seriously because they all want to be like him. And uh, it's pretty awesome. How many, how many times has he asked you to somehow find another year of eligibility? Every single year. Yeah, <laughs> every single year. And I tell you what, now we have so much eligibility. It's coming out of our ears. <laughs> you know, we, we've got more guys that are going to be graduating with extra years of eligibility that unfortunately will never be able to use them. We, we, it's kind of funny. We did get a batch of missionaries that just came home 
and they missed all the COVID. So the two years they were gone were the two years that the MCLA and the NCAA granted eligibility back to everybody. And so they're coming back as sophomores and they're kind of feeling a little gypped that these other guys were able to play and uh, have more eligibility than they have. Sure. Absolutely. Makes sense. One, one quick side note to that, to that Utah BYU game at the end. I don't know if you remember, but I saw you afterwards uh, that night. And, and do you remember what I told you? I don't, Tim. What did you I, tell me? I said, coach, you're now my, you're now my favorite MCLA team. Oh, good. Yeah. See, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll, and I'll still stand by that. Sorry. Sorry. You view and, and Utah state and, and now the Utah club, they're back. They're back. That's coach. right. They're back. Yeah. They're back and they're coming down to Provo next week or we are a week and a half. So. Sure. Yeah. It should be fun. Talk, talk about this squad though, that you have for this season. What, what uh, should the casual fan know about the, the 2022 Cougars? Yeah. Well, the, the casual fan should know that all the firepower from last year is back. So if you were looking at BYU from a perspective of, of goals scored, points scored last year, and how much of that was returning to this year, it was a pretty significant portion. And so we did lose a couple of guys, but a big, big part of, of that firepower offensively from last year is back. And then the other thing that, again, from a casual observer standpoint, the entirety of our defense is back. Goalie, close defenseman. We lost two captains, Jared Cotter and Tyler Mumford. But the way we rotated last year, we had some guys that were getting some pretty good experience. Plus, we brought in Taylor Mason, who was a transfer from the University of Utah. And uh, he's fit in very, very nicely as he's uh, come in and helped solidify the defense. And, and so... So defense looks really sharp in comparison to last year's team as well. We're missing, you know, an all-American face-off guy in Tyler Clancy. And, uh, but we've got some new, new young up-and-comers that are, are, are figuring their way through uh, college lacrosse right now. And uh, they, they've all determined that one move doesn't do it. And uh, so they're, they're learning and uh, we're, we're hoping to have some great things happen from those guys as we, as we move forward. But, you know, outside of that, Tim, the, I think if you look at the team in, in general, there's also a lot of new faces and, and that's just a result of being at BYU. You know, we almost lose 40% of our team every year. That's, that's pretty normal for us. We're, we lose them to graduation. We lose them to serving a mission. And sometimes we just lose them to new things that they're going to be doing. And, and because of that factor, we're always seeing a, a pretty decent turnover, but we're fortunate enough to always have some new talent that's coming in to replace them. And, and you, you mentioned new talent coming in to replace them. What do you look for you know, when a kid says, hey, coach, I'm interested in coming to BYU lacrosse? What are some of the things you're yeah. telling them? What are you looking for? Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you right now, it's, it's a pretty simple formula. Please get into school, right? That's number one. If you talk to any of the kids that I've had the opportunity to coach over the years, summer camps, things like that, kids that we're looking at recruiting and hopefully to bring them in here to come play at BYU, they all know that Coach Schneck asks the exact same thing to every single one of them, which is, how are you doing in school? Uh, there are no exceptions to that. You have to be accepted on your own to be able to come and play here. And uh, we don't have any weight, you know, to be able to go in and, and uh, pull some strings to help guys get in. So they do need to do that on their own. We do have a few things that we provide as resources to help them in that application process. But outside of that, they're, they're getting in on their own merits. And so 
because of that, we, we kind of focus on that first. So when these kids are coming to camp at very young ages, we're, we're drilling it into them young. You got to be a good student. Got to be a good student. And they're hearing that every single year. By the time we get them to their senior year, they've usually heard it six, seven, eight times, you know, and hopefully the message got through and then we can get some of those kids into school. Now, with that being said, about 25, 30% of our team, they're transfers. So they didn't get in right off the bat. They went to Utah. They went to UVU. They went to SVU. They went to BYU Salt Lake Center. They went somewhere else. And then they transferred in after a year of getting their academics in place and, and then transferring into school. And so, so, but outside of that, when we start talking about athletics and we start talking about lacrosse in general, you know, we typically have 85 to a hundred kids that will come try out in the fall each year of that. We are capped by the university at 45 players. So that's something that we had agreed to with the university when they were asking us, you know, what type of, of, of team sizes I for you. And we told them that 45 was a pretty good number and they, and they honored that. And so they allow us to have 45 guys that are on the team, which means that we do, there's some talent on campus that uh, is not on the team. And oftentimes we draw from that talent as the season goes on and we have an injury or we have uh, somebody that academically maybe needs to take a break from lacrosse and focus on their academics or, or something like that. And, and then we'll reach out to those guys and uh, see if they want to come and join us. So we're typically always at 45, but rarely underneath that. We like to consider ourselves a, a fast-paced, aggressive uh, program in regards to how we approach the game. So we're looking for athletes. You know, we want to find, and I love multi-sport athletes, by the way, to me, that's huge. I know that there's a big push in the industry, you know, to have guys get to fifth grade and choose one sport and that's all they do. And that's all they focus on. I'm not a fan of that. I think that there's benefit in seeing kids that play hockey, see kids that play football, see kids that have running track see kids that are playing other sports and they're learning how to be athletes because as they become more athletic, then it just translates even that much better to the game. And, and I do know that there are some that that's all they did. And we've got some on our team. They're only lacrosse players, never played anything else. That's okay too. But if somebody was asking me, I would always tell them, go out and experience some different sports and, and just learn how to be a great athlete. And, and it's interesting you mentioned that because you were a multi-sport athlete, first of all. Yeah. And then, you know, you mentioned Elliot Grow. I don't know if yeah. a lot of people in the lacrosse community know that Elliot Grow is a, a championship, state championship point guard at, at Highland on the basketball team, yep. as well as uh, a great lacrosse player. So it's definitely true. I, a couple of uh, questions before we wrap up. I want to, I want you to just give your opinion on how do you, how do you prevent burnouts? First of all, with, from your coach, you and your coaching staff as, yeah. as coaches, but then also your players, you know, you said you start in the fall, you're going to go till more or less mid-May. Yep. How do you guys prevent burnout? Well, you know, so first of all, the, the, the idea of being able to help guys understand that they need to have balance in their life is huge. One of the, one of the things, I guess, when I'm done coaching and somebody looks back and says, hey, what's something that you learned from Coach Schneck? I, I hope that the message that they share is that, he taught them that we are lacrosse is something that we 
that we play, but it's not who we are as individuals, that we have balance in our life, that in addition to being a lacrosse player, that we're also a son, eventually we'll be a husband. We are a, a friend. We are a student. We are a, all these different things that we, we play these roles in our life. And, and I want guys to understand that, that we want them to be balanced. And I think by teaching balance to them and, and seeing that we actually back up what we say, when I have a kid that comes to me and says, coach, I really need to spend some more time studying for this exam that I have, and I'm not going to be able to make it to practice, that the response is not guilt. The response is not, you're going to lose your position. The response is not, you know, these things it's all right, good luck, go do what you need to do. And and go, go be successful. I think that that helps from kids experiencing burnout because they realize that they have the, 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 the coaches and the support that's supporting in what they're doing in there. So whether that's jobs, internships, relationships, academics, whatever the case may be, recognizing that lacrosse is one part of it and, and that they need to have all those parts. And if all they're doing is lacrosse, they're going to get burned out. And so we want to make sure that they feel and, and know that we support them in those things. Now, there's some exceptions. We try to make sure that they're smart. You know, we know guys love to go skiing. So, you know, we had to make some rules about when they can ski. I'm not telling them they can't ski. I'm not telling them they can't snowboard. But I do tell them when they can. Right. And make sure that we're, again, balanced in how we do it and help them understand the reasoning why. It's not just because it's an arbitrary rule. I help them understand this is why, you know, we don't want you skiing at this time, but you can at that time. And we try to help them understand those things. And so, and then the other thing, I I think it's huge that the, the team understands that there's, there's transparency with what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish as well. And that helps from burnout as well. Our captains see our practice plan every day, the day before practice, they know what we're doing. They know exactly what we're trying to accomplish. If they see something that, hey, coach, would you consider this or that? We take that into consideration. Maybe we make some adjustments. More times than not, they're pretty happy with what we put together. We always try to make sure that we're including the most important elements of a successful practice, which is not only going to be that we are working hard and that these guys are, are continually improving their skills, but we also make sure we're building in fun into what we're doing that's helping them become better lacrosse players and finding some good balance with what we're doing. So I, I'd say, the answer is balance. I mean, that's, I think that's how we've been able to approach it. Absolutely. And and a ton of good nuggets in there. Coaches, we uh, wrap up here. Anything else you want to mention? Anything else you want to talk about? You know, I just probably one thing, and, and that is how thrilled we are as a program to see what's happening in Utah high school. I mean, this is so long coming, you know, to finally be at a place where we've got high school lacrosse that sanctioned, We see teams popping up all over the place, trying to take advantage of it. It's still a few years away. You know, it's, it's, it's a few years away. Tim, I'm going to tell you the, one of the greatest high school lacrosse coaches ever was Guy Witten, who was the high school coach at uh, Wilton high school in uh, Wilton, Connecticut. And he was also a math teacher and the head of the math department at the school. And that is when, Lacrosse in Utah is going to get to the next level when they start attracting professional teachers that are going to come in 
take jobs and be the coach as well, similar to what we see with football coaches and basketball coaches and things like that. When that happens, this is when Utah lacrosse is going to go to the next level, not guys that are coming in from the side to do it. People that want to be educators. And uh, I think when that happens, we're going to start seeing some really, really incredible things happen. I think it's a few years away, but I think that we're getting there. So, and it's interesting you mentioned that coach, because the more that I talk to coaches at the high school level, the more that it is clear that if they actually worked at the high school, it would, a lot of these things, issues, time yeah. commitments would take care of themselves. That's so right. It's, it, it's very, it's very interesting that, that you mentioned that because I, I totally agree. In this transition period, though, we're going to do the best we can with, with what we've been given. Coach, thanks for your time today. I, I yeah, really appreciate it. You know, and, and we look forward to seeing what happens with the 2022 Cougars. I'll be in Round Rock, Texas. Awesome. And so I, I, I assume we'll, uh, we'll see you there. We're, we're working towards it. You know, we've, we've been fortunate that a lot of coaches in the country seem to think that BYU's got a good team this year. <laughs> And, and so we're, we're happy that they've, they've honored us with, with a, a uh, great ranking. But as I've shared with others, that ranking only matters at the end of the season. And so we've got a lot of work to do. We have two to three games every week for the rest of the season, starting next week. And so we're going to be, we're going to be really grinding out for the next, uh, the next six weeks or so. So it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. And I'd say, you know, go go attend a game. We couldn't last year. And so now is the, the year to go and, and watch the Cougars. I've never been so cold in my life as I have been at your home field. For whatever reason, it just gets freezing there. So yep. hopefully there's sunny days ahead. And, and Got some afternoon games coming up. Just, you know, shout out to all the Utah fans that are out there as well, because we are going to be hosting the MCLA University of Utah's team on Wednesday, the... I believe it's the 17th, Wednesday night, the 17th of March. We'll be at the Provo West Stadium. That's the old Provo mm. High School. And admission is free. And so love to have people come out. And then that Saturday, we'll be playing against the top five Concordia on our North University field that afternoon. So it'll be a nice, hopefully beautiful afternoon, Saturday afternoon. So lots of opportunities to, to go and see the Cougars. Coach, again, thanks for your time. And uh, we'll see you on the sidelines. Hey, thanks so much, Tim. See you later. Thank you.